Again, I hope that you've got your Bible open. I'm going to read this passage of Scripture out of the Living Bible, so if you don't have yours, please follow with me on the screen, okay? 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 through 14. The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream that night and told him to ask for anything he wanted, and it would be given to him. Solomon replied, you are wonderfully kind to my father David because he was honest and true and faithful to you and obeyed your commands. And you have continued your kindness to him by giving him a son to succeed him. O Lord my God, now you have made me the king instead of my father David, but I am as a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am among your own chosen people, a nation so great that there are almost too many people to count. Give me an understanding mind so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. For who by himself is able to carry such a heavy responsibility? The Lord was pleased with his reply and was glad that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So he replied, Because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people and haven't asked for a long life or riches for yourself or the defeat of your enemies. Yes, I'll give you what you've asked for. I will give you a wiser mind than anyone else has ever had or ever will have. And I'll also give what you didn't ask for, riches and honor. And no one in all the world will be as rich and famous as you for the rest of your life. And I will give you a long life if you follow me and obey my laws as your father David did. Let us once again pray. Father, I am grateful for your word. And Lord, I'm grateful that not only did you offer to Solomon what he desired, you gave him the opportunity to ask, Lord, I thank you that you give us as a church and as individual Christians, that chance to come before you and ask what we would want you to do in our life. And Father, just as Solomon asked for the right thing, Lord, help us to do that too. And Lord, I just pray in these moments ahead that your Holy Spirit will guide our minds and our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'll speak through your word and through me. Lord, I confess again my unworthiness to stand before your people and even to stand before you. But, Father, I pray that you'll take control of this service and you'll speak to hearts. For those that have not yet trusted the Lord Jesus as their Savior, I pray, Father, that you would help them to see that not only are they a sinner, but that your Son died for them. And by repenting of sin and trusting him as Savior, they can be born into your kingdom. And, Father, I pray for us as Christians, even for us as a group, as a church, that, Lord, if we have drifted away from you, if we are asleep at the wheel, if we've lost the zeal and excitement to serve you and even our focus and our mission, Father, wake us up, revive us to know again that as we ask you to bless and use us, you'll do just that. Lord, may your will be done in the moments ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. The first two Sundays, or the the second and third Sunday, last Sunday was the fourth when we had the Baptist Men's Day, but on January the 8th and January the 15th, as we began a new year as a church and as individual Christians, we started looking at this passage of Scripture. And let me recap very quickly, okay? We talked about how God has 
has got a plan for our church and for our lives this year. And he does. He's got a plan for this church, for each one of our lives. Also, God desires to bless our church and to bless our lives. And as an example of that, God has blessed us in the past. That is his nature. That is the way that he works, and he wants to bless us again. But God's blessings are not automatic. God requires that as a church and as individual Christians, you and I obey his commands and be faithful to him. And we also talked about how we don't deserve God's blessings. Solomon did not deserve the blessings of God, but God showered not only Solomon, but also the nation of Israel with his blessings. And God told Solomon in verse 5, ask what I shall give you. As Solomon heard what God had told him, Solomon asked God to request. And they're both found in verse 9. First of all, Solomon said, give me an understanding mind. One translation says an understanding heart. And in the Hebrew language, what that phrase literally means is a hearing heart. Solomon is saying, God, give me a heart that is tuned to your voice. And secondly, in verse 9, Solomon said, Enable me to govern thy people that I may discern between good and evil. And folks, I think it's very wonderful that Solomon placed the good of God's people above his personal prosperity and above any desire that he had to become a powerful and popular king. And folks, in that is a lesson for us as Christians and as a church. It is our high calling as followers of Christ to use God's blessings to bless others. And everything that God has given unto us as individual Christians and as a church, God wants us to use those things to bless others. Folks, the last Sunday we were talking about this. I ask, what would we ask God to give us in this new church year as a church? And there are three things that my prayers are that God would give us. We talked about the first thing uh, two weeks ago. First of all, I pray that this year God's going to give us a harvest of more people coming to know and experiencing Jesus as their personal Savior. Folks, it is God's desire, and this is revealed in Scripture, that it is God's desire for this church, every church, and for my life and your life, that we would bear witness to our, our Savior. And that through our testimony, through our witness, through people seeing God at work in our life, they too would come to know Christ and be saved and be born into the kingdom of God. Folks, I pray that you and I as a church will have a burden for the lost. And I ask this question again, do we now have a burden for the lost? Have we a desire to share the good news of Christ with others? Have we a desire to invite and to bring other people to the church? Would you and I make a commitment to bring and invite so many people to this church so that they can come to know the Lord as their Savior? And would we begin with our family? That was number one. But here's where we pick up this morning. The second thing that I'd like for you and I to ask and pray to God for is that he might bring revival to our church. And I'm not talking about the two five-day time periods in the spring and fall. Every year we have a spring revival, we have a fall revival. That's not the type of revival I'm talking about. The word revival, according to Webster's Dictionary, means to return to consciousness or life. 
to have a spiritual we reawakening. And folks, we need to ask ourselves, do we as a church need to be revived? Do we need to understand that we are the body of Christ, that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, that we are empowered by the Spirit of God, that we are commissioned by the Lord Jesus to go out and tell the world about him, that we have been blessed in such a great way that God wants us to be a blessing to others? Are we a church that is fully aware of that? Are we a church that have act or that are actively engaged in sharing the gospel in this community? Or do we need revival? Folks, I'm not standing here to try and be critical of our church because I think the Christian life, the Christian church, we're always going through some stage. We're either down in the valley or we're up on the mountain. And to be a follower of Jesus Christ means that there are going to be moments that that God is blessing and everything is happening. And there are going to be moments in our life as individuals and also as a church in which we've just drifted away from God. We've lost our focus. And folks, this happens. And I hope and pray that when we get things out of focus that God will send a revival. And folks, this is common to all churches. Listen to an example of this in Revelations chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And and this is the church in Sardis. Listen to this. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the name of being alive and you're dead. Awake and strengthen what remains And is on the point of death, for I have not found your works perfect in the sight of God. Remember then from what you've received and heard, keep that and repent. Now listen, the Lord's telling the church, repent. If you do not awake, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I come upon you. Folks, do you and I as a church need to waken? Do we need to have a time of spiritual revival? Well, folks, listen to what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And folks, before I read this verse, I want to give you the background, very brief, brief background. One of the missions that God had for Solomon is that they would build a temple. David's heart and desire was to build this temple, but God said, no, it won't be you, it'll be your son. And Solomon is given the task of building a temple for God, which represented the very presence of God. It was a place of worship where the people of God would come and worship God. It was a high and holy time for Israel as they built that temple, uh, and it took several years. It was a time of spiritual renewal. It was a time of revival. But God told Solomon, he said, listen, there will be times when the people of God will forsake me, when they'll grow cold in their relationship with me, when they'll drift away from me, when they'll forget the importance of serving me and worshiping me. And God says when that happens, here's what it will take for revival to happen. And listen to this verse, Second Chronicles 7:14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Folks, in this verse, there are four instructions for revival. 
And the next slide will show those four instructions. And folks, I want to tell you, according to Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if revival takes place again, again, at Theresa Baptist Church, here's four requirements of revival. Number one, my people humble themselves. Folks, listen, God is speaking to his people. God is not talking to people who don't care about God, who don't know about God, but he's speaking to his people. If my people humble themselves. Folks, one of the greatest needs we have, not only in our church, but the Christian church and in our lives as Christians is humility. Let me tell you why. Look at James chapter 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, folks, I want to tell you, that's pretty straight, isn't it? God opposes the proud. If you want to get God in opposition to you, just become proud. If you and I want this church to get out of the center of God's will and for God to oppose us, we will become proud of who we are, who we think we are. God will oppose us, but he gives grace to the humble. And look also at James 4.10. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Folks, you and I need to ask ourselves, is our church, is this church for our honor and glory or for God's honor and glory? And I told you that two weeks ago, as I was just riding down the road, praying and meditating on this message, God asked me this question, and I'm not saying in an audible voice, but God said, are you humble enough for me to use you? And folks, we need to ask ourselves that again as Christians. Are we humble enough for God to use us? Who gets the glory from the good things that happens in my life, in your life, and in the life of our church? And listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. These ver- words are so familiar, but look at these. Matthew five sixteen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to who? To your Father who is in heaven. Folks, everything that we do is not for our glory, but for the glory of God who is in heaven. And folks, let me give you the greatest example of humility. That is the Lord Jesus himself. Look at this passage of scripture in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. And again, you might want to just jot these verses down. And you might, I hope, if you don't already have these highlighted and marked in your Bible. Listen to what Paul says. Philippians 2, verses 3 to 8. Do nothing. Listen to this. Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only on his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now listen, Paul says, here's the true example of humility. If you and I want to be humble, here's the example. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, folks, look very closely at verse 8. And being found in human form, he what? He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Folks, I've read that passage of Scripture many, many times in my life. I've preached on it many, many times. But let me tell you something. 
two weeks ago as I was reading this passage of Scripture again, it really touched my heart. Look again at verse 8. And I believe that there's a powerful formula to have revival in verse 8. Our Lord humbled himself. And, and look at what happened when he humbled himself. He became obedient. And when he became obedient, he did what? He died, even death on the cross. Folks, I believe that Paul here, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, gives us a powerful formula to revival. Humility will lead to obedience. Obedience will lead to the death of self. And when self dies, we become alive in Christ Jesus. Is that not a powerful statement? And this is the example of Jesus himself. Let me again say this again because it's in the word of God and it's so beautiful. Jesus humbled himself. When he humbled himself, he then could be obedient to the Father. And as he was obedient to the Father, all of us know that he died on the cross. But in dying on the cross, he was raised to eternal life. Folks, listen. When you and I are humble, we become obedient, we die to self, and we become alive in Christ. That, I believe, is what God wants to happen in my life and in your life and most especially in the life of this church. Are you and I, as Teresa Baptist Church, are we a humble people? Are we a proud people? And again, there's biblical, spiritual truth here that if we are like Jesus, we will humble ourselves. Because you see, God will oppose us in our pride because pride will keep revival from coming to the church. Pride will keep renewal from coming to the church. Pride will keep reawakening from coming to the church. And pride is in my heart and in your heart. It will keep revival from taking place here at this church. And this morning, I want to ask you, and, and look, I, I want you to do this under the leadership of the Spirit of God. But if pride is one of, the, one of the baggage that you have around your heart as a Christian, would you come to this altar today and say, God, I give up my pride. I'm tired of, of being pr proudful and, and causing you to be in opposition to me. I want to die to the pride in my heart and humbly submit myself and my church to the Lord Jesus Christ. Would we do that? Folks, Pride stops God from working in my life, your life, and the life of this church. If my people humble themselves, but God also told Solomon, if my people pray, if my people pray. Right now in my life, in your life, last year in our lives, since we've trusted Christ as our personal Savior, has prayer been one of the characteristics of our lives as Christians? Has it? Folks, we need to seriously ask ourselves this question. Are we people of prayer? Is the lack of prayer deforming our spiritual development? Is the lack of prayer in our life delaying our spiritual growth and weakening our work as a church? This past week, I read a statement in one of the devotional books and and we're going to have this on the screen. And I, I really had never heard of this man, Andrew Murray. I've, I understand that he's a South African minister and author. But listen to this statement that, that he writes. God's child can conquer everything by prayer. 
Now, that's a tremendous statement within itself. But look at the next statement. Is it any wonder that Satan does his utmost to snatch that weapon from the Christian or to hinder him in the use of it? Folks, let me tell you something. If you and I get on our knees and begin to pray, Satan's going to attack us because Satan does not want us praying. But folks, if revival takes place in my life, your life, and the life of this church, prayer must be part of that reawakening. Are you and I a praying church? And, and I know we're pressed for time and, and we don't know how to pray and we can give 111 different excuses. <laughs> Let me point something out. Right after the new year began, I don't know if you've seen the bulletin board that's down there close to Fran's office. I want to encourage you to go by those bulletin boards. I, I, I'm sure that it's still up there. But the RAs, GAs, and mission friends, that's our younger children, our missions groups, they listed New Year resolutions, things that they were going to do this coming year. And you know, one of the things that many of them listed was, I will pray. And here's my point. If prayer is so simple that the RAs and GAs and mission friends can do it, why do we as adult Christians not engage in prayer? If prayer is communion and fellowship with God, is our lack of prayer an indication that we don't seek and feel the need of fellowship and communion with prayer? And is our lack of prayer harming and deforming and delaying Christian spiritual growth in my heart and in your heart? And folks, is the lack of prayer keeping us from seeing new souls enter the kingdom of God? Another statement that I read, and, and this is not on the screen, but listen to this. A.T. Pearson wrote this, and again, I don't know who this is, but it was in a devotional statement. The shortest route to the man next door is by the way of God's throne. You know what that means? Pray, pray. You know, the, the shortest route to ministering to the person that lives next door is, be, is by beginning to pray for them. And folks, when we begin to pray for the lost, when we begin to expect that God is going to work in that person's life and lead them to Christ, God's going to do a number of things. God's going to give us an opportunity to share Christ's love with them. God's going to give us the opportunity to witness to them not perhaps always by mouth, but by action. And sooner or later, we'll see them hopefully and prayerfully come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And folks, when there is like of prayer, that allows Satan to keep conflict and division in our church. Do you believe that? I do. I really do. Because, folks, I've seen some times when I didn't know what was going to happen, but as people began to pray, God began to work. And, folks, it's time for you and I to make a new commitment. Perhaps some of us need to make a first-time commitment to be people of prayer. And listen to what I'm saying. Folks, how long should you pray? I don't know. There's no set way or, or, or time schedule in the Bible. I know great people in the Old Testament prayed at morning, noon, and night. Daniel did that. You remember what happened? They, they wanted to kill him because he was praying to the God 
of his forefathers and the God that had been faithful to him. But God used Daniel's life, and I believe it was a direct result of prayer. If God's not using our life and using our church, perhaps it's because we need to get down on our knees again and pray. Don't set the alarm clock when you start praying, but give God time. Fellowship with him through prayer. So often we just pray when we need something, and so often our prayers are about me, 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 me. There's so many ways that we can be praying, praising God, lifting up worship to him, praying for others, praying for this church. Will we humble ourselves? Will we pray? And the third thing that Second Chronicles said, seek God's face. Seek God's face. The first Sunday that we started this series, we said, God is not unknowable, uncaring, and unavailable. Exactly the opposite. God wants to be at the very center of our lives. But folks, do we seek the face of God? And I love the way the Amplified Bible translates that phrase. Do we seek, do we crave, do we require of necessity necessity the face of God? Folks, are we searching for God? Because for many of us, we're not. We're turning, going in the other direction. And God's got to run after us, we feel, if he wants us and wants our attention. But listen to what God said through Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. And we've read this verse before, but let's look at it again. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Folks, what does it mean for you and me in Teresa Baptist Church to seek God's face? Well, let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 3. Remember the background of this passage of Scripture? Solomon and the leaders of Israel had gone to Gibeon to worship. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 1 verse 1, and that's the companion story to uh, 1 Kings 3, the people came seeking God. They sought the Lord. Folks, Again, please hear me from my heart. When we come to this place and this time, did we come to see God? Are we just coming because this is something we do? Folks, are we here because we believe that God is real and that he's alive and that when we come into his presence, he will bless us? And so often we confuse what seeking God's face truly is. Seeking God's face is to worship God, but it is more than 60 minutes or 120 minutes on Sunday morning. And and thank you for being here. I'm not criticizing you or trying to verbally abuse you for being here, but folks, seeking God's face is not something that's limited to Sunday morning. Seeking God's face means that we place God first in our hearts. Seeking God's face means that we crave for God's will to be done in our lives. How many of us, and I'm including myself, how many of us are saying, God, I want your will to be done in my life? Many of us are saying, God, stand back. I want to do certain things with my life, and then I'll give it to you. Seeking God's face means giving obedience to God's command. Seeking God's face means to be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Seeking God's face means that we give God freedom and time to mold and to develop us into the people he wants us to be. 
And let me tell you something that it's been a hard lesson for me to understand. Becoming the people that God wants us to be takes a lifetime. There's no shortcuts. And God is continually working on us. And folks, don't quit. Don't retire. Don't go on vacation. Don't leave the court with 14 seconds left. I'm seeing if y'all are still awake, all right? So, honest to goodness, if, if God were doing an appraisal of us right now, would he say, well, you know, back years ago, you tried to be in my will, but right now, just not giving me much to work on. Folks, seeking God's face means that we allow every area of our life to be under his control. And folks, as a result of seeking God's face, there will be corporate worship where we come together as a body of Christ, but there will also be private worship where we read and study our Bible, where we pray, where we begin to allow God to show us the spiritual gifts that he's given to us for ministry. But folks, you already know this without me warning you. Satan wants us to replace seeking God's face with the things of this world. And for many of us, at many times, rather than seeking the face of God, we're seeking our own personal pleasure and self-gratification and our own personal self-glory. If you and I are stopping revival at Theresa Baptist Church and even in our lives is one of the main reasons because we're no longer seeking the face of God. Let me read to you Matthew 5, 6. And folks, I want you to take this. This is the, the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Folks, and, and again, I, you know how much I love looking at different translations. That word blessed, you know, we hear that now. Have a blessed day. Bless you. I'm, I'm guilty of, you know, bless you, bless you, bless you. But this concept of blessed, the Amplified Bible translates the word with many facets. It says, happy, to be envied, spiritually prosperous, with life, joy, and satisfaction, in God's favor and salvation. Folks, listen. God promises that when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we'll be satisfied. And folks, one of the sad truths about life, so often we go through life chasing everything and every pleasure, and we push God to the back. And then one day it finally dawns on us the beginning point in finding real life is to seek the face of God. And folks, let me tell you, revival will come when we humble ourselves, when we pray, and when we seek his face. Do we want revival this year? And again, I'm not talking about March. I'm not talking about October. Do we want God to be at work and in our midst and blessing us this year? Let's pray.
Father, sometimes as the message ends, I I feel like I've let you people down, Lord. I, I hope and I pray that I've been your instrument. I hope and I pray that I've allowed your word and your spirit to speak. And these are not my opinions or not what I think the church ought to do. But Lord, help us to hear from your word and help us to be convicted by your spirit that you want to work in and through our lives and in and through this church. But it's not automatic that we must humble ourselves. We must pray. We must seek your face and we must turn from our sins. Father, only you know where we're at. Lord, we can put on the front when we come to this place. And, Lord, even I as a pastor, I can act real religious around the folks, Lord, that I see every day. But, Father, I pray that I'll humble my heart. I pray that I'll be a praying pastor. And I pray, Father, I'll seek your face. And I'll turn from my sins. And I pray that prayer for every one of us, Lord, knowing that when we hunger and thirst after you, there'll be a satisfaction that nothing else in this world can give. So, Lord, I pray for each one of us as Christians. I pray for our church. Lord, may we allow you to bring revival in our hearts, in our church. And, Lord, we also pray for those that might be here that have not yet trusted Christ as Savior. Lord, I thank you that in every one of our lives, you put witnesses, perhaps as a parent or a grandparent, a son or daughter or a grandchild. Thank you for those that have witnessed to us that Jesus loves us. But, Father, I pray this morning that if there's someone here that, that you're knocking on the door of their heart, you're offering them salvation, I pray, Father, that their desire would be to repent of their sin and to trust Jesus as their Savior. And Lord, I pray that whether it's to come down the aisle and profess faith in Christ or come and kneel at this altar and make new commitments to you, that you'll lead us to do it. May the Holy Spirit take control of these moments of invitation. And as we stand and sing, Father, I just pray that you'll lead decisions to be made that will result in revival happening in our church and more people coming to know your Son as their personal Savior. Have your way in your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.